Me amo es Señor Dere. Estás escuchando Before the Millions Podcast, episode 39. Sí? Sí. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What's going on, BTM community? We're back for another installment of the Before the Millions podcast brought to you by no sponsors. We have no sponsors. We haven't had sponsors for a long time. And that's not because we can't get sponsors. I actually get lots of requests from sponsors. Actually, I got a request from the producers, I believe, of Dirty John. If you guys know, if you guys have heard of that popular podcast or movie or whatever it is, it's I hear a lot of people talk about it, but I just good on sponsors right now. I mean, I like my like the podcast to just be clean, like straight value, you know? Maybe we'll revisit sponsorship again in the future, but eh. anyways, on today's show, guys, we're speaking with the Land Geek and he has a peculiar business model. It's one of those business models that maybe you hear a lot about, maybe you don't. But once you kind of hear Mark explain what he does and how he does it, it kind of piques some interest. He invests in land and land has some hidden benefit and some great potential. But we'll get into that, guys. We talk about Mark's story. We talk about his corporate background. We talk about how he's automated a lot of his business. And now he's teaching others how to do the same exact thing. And it's crazy the amount of success that he's had. If we have any new listeners on the show, which I'm sure we do, we have new listeners every episode. We're growing so fast. Welcome to the show. Get comfortable. This is going to be a lot of fun. You're going to have a lot of fun on this episode. I know that many of the listeners come from a corporate background, which is my background as well. I came from a big four accounting firm and I eventually went on to work for a private equity hedge fund manager, but I no longer work for either of those companies. I don't work for any company. In fact, I have companies working for me. That's true freedom. Man, I want to open up a whole can of worms with that statement and just like kind of, I'll save it. I'll save it. Here's the thought though. A lot of us think that more money will solve our problems. Most of us think that. Time to time, I think that and I have to get myself out of that thinking. But it's more so prevalent for an employee, somebody who's strictly an employee that has no business, somebody who's not minding their own business. Somebody who's minding somebody else's business, making somebody else wealthy. We think that if we could only just earn more money, if we could only just make it to that bonus, if we can make it to that refund check, if we can get that raise at the end of the year, 
if we can get that second job, if we can get that money back that we let Uncle Tom borrow, everything will be okay. I'll be able to do this. I'll be able to do that. Money is the answer to my problem. So if I can get that, my problem will go away. Well, what I found, guys, is that we're misdiagnosing the problem. The problem is not money. But before I even get into why and how we're misdiagnosing that problem, let's say we're not misdiagnosing. Let's say money is the problem. If money truly is the problem, your solution is not working. So if money is the problem and you think a raise is the solution to that problem, that is a problem in itself. Let me tell you why. You're working for so many people. So many other people get paid before you as an employee. Number one, as an employee, the government takes 50% of your money before you even see it. 50%. You're stretching this. That sounds like a lot. I am not stretching it. The government takes 50% of your money. Sometimes we forget about all these miscellaneous taxes. You pay sales tax on almost everything that you buy on a daily basis. So when you're factoring all the taxes that you pay, don't just look at your statement. Don't look at your check. Think about all the taxes and totality that you pay. You pay taxes on all your bills. Your employer is taxed on your behalf. That's another story. But anyways, so the government takes 50% of your money before you even sniff it. So as you get that raise, you are working harder to pay the government more money. I hope you can see that. So what happens next? Well, am I next in line? Do I get paid next? Like I've paid the government 50% of all the money that I've earned. Do I get paid next? No, you're not even next. After that, you have to pay who's second in line, who's second in charge. You have to pay the creditors, which in totality, the bank is the second person in line. So the first person in line is the government. The second person in line is the bank. You have to pay the bank. That mortgage on your house, that car note, your credit card bills, All of that goes to the bank. The bank owns the note on all of those things. So 50% of your money is already going to the government because you're an employee. That's the only reason. A good majority of the rest, if not the entire rest, is going to the bank. How much is left over for you? You tell me. Everybody's situation is slightly different, but I mean, that's the crux of it. You tell me. Medical bills, student loans. Are you next up on that list? Do you have a family? You have a husband, a wife, you have kids, you have parents. So the more you earn doesn't necessarily mean the more you make. You can jump from $50,000 a year to $150,000 a year and still only take home 10 grand because as the total expands, the net is not expanding because your bills, the people you owe money to, that expands with the total. So guys, I'm not on my soapbox today, but we have to break the employee only mentality. I'm not saying that I don't support being an employee, but I do not support solely being an employee and thinking that you are staying away from risk. You have more risk than anybody else as an employee only. So in a nutshell, making more money without having financial literacy, without knowing how to circumvent some of these problems will not solve your problem. It will enhance your problem. It'll have you working harder, longer for somebody else, for the shareholders of your company, for the tax man, the government, 
for the bank, for your alma mater, you're going to be working hard all of your life to pay other people, to make other people wealthy. All the while, what are you doing to build your nest egg? Are you blindly, blindly putting all your faith and hope into a 401k plan? Well, I have news for you. You will not become wealthy by doing that. You will not. Let's not even touch on the subject of becoming rich. I love this podcast because we get to dive into the minds of how some of the best minds in the business play the game, how to properly play the game, how I play the game, how I've changed my life to play the game now, guys. I want to make sure that I'm providing, that I'm making sure that you guys are equipped with the same literacy, financial literacy, as the people who play the game the best. Next week, man, there's a long list, but you know, I'm thinking about next week in the intro before we get to the interview, we'll maybe touch on the definition of risk and who's being more riskier, entrepreneur who doesn't know where his next check is coming from or an employee who knows that he's getting a check every two weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll be surprised. Anyways, let's get to the tip of the week. DeRay's Tip of the Week. All right. Can I give you guys a combo for the tip of the week this week? Just because these are the four, man, without these four apps, I don't think I had any of these apps in 20, well, maybe one. So three of these apps I've never used before 2018, but I cannot imagine myself moving forward without all four of these apps. Like They are vital to my everyday. So the tip of the week is just four apps that I use on a daily basis, and they help me tremendously. They help out with my lifestyle design. App number one, I may have mentioned it before, Workflowy, one of the best, best, best organizations app. I may have actually mentioned it in a tip of the week. So, hey, some of you might be getting this twice, but it's just this app. The other three apps haven't been spoken of on the podcast, I don't think. But anyways, Workflowy is a notes app and it is one of the best notes app. I have the premium version because I use it every single day. I organize everything in that app. It's like the notes. If you have an iPhone, it's like the notes app in your phone, but on steroids. Another app I use on a daily basis is called MyFitnessPal. Type in MyFitness and it's it'll come up. It pretty much just helps me track what I'm eating, how much I'm exercising, how many calories I'm burning, what my goals are, my BMI, all that good health net stuff. It, it tracks everything. And it syncs with a lot of other apps out there that you guys may use for fitness. So just check it out. It's like your home hub for like all things fitness. It has tons of restaurants, tons of food ideas. You can literally track your weight. You can add your pictures. It's fascinating. I love the app. App number three is my affirmations app. It's called Think Up. And I'll have all four of these apps in the show notes, by the way. App number three is my affirmations app. It's called Think Up and... One of my mentors actually um, was looking for an app around the same time I was looking for an affirmation app. So I found this one and I recommended it to him. And uh, his name is Cliff, Cliff Ravenscraft. If you guys have heard of him, he's trained many of the top podcasters in the world to podcast. A few months ago, I actually went to visit him in his home, him and his family. And we had a mastermind pretty much, just me and him. And it was awesome. It was awesome. But anyways, long story short, I recommended this app to him last week. And like he came out with like a whole episode just kind of based on this app. That's how much he loves it. So um, if he loves it and I love it and 
My friends love it. I guarantee you'll love it. It's called Think Up. It literally is an app in which you can record your affirmations so that you don't have to say them every morning. I know some days we get lazy or some days we say them and then like we are, we're not really, you know, we're, our mind is somewhere else. So we're not really processing what we're saying. We're just kind of, you know, saying it just to say it. Well, this app, you can record your affirmations. You can see the recording. So you can see the text while you're hearing the words. Uh, you can add background music. You can shuffle. You can randomize. You can make playlists. It's amazing. Also, uh, I have the paid version of this app as well. I think it's like $25 for a lifetime access. Last but not least, what is the last app? Oh, I'll, I've covered two apps on this show, actually, then. Uh, the fourth one is my daily audio Bible, the Dab app. Man, I fall more and more in love with that app every single day. I'm getting through the Bible so, so fast, and I'm learning so much more than I ever have reading the Bible on my own. I definitely recommend you guys... Even if you don't have an iPhone, it may be on Android. Even if it's not, just go to dailyoaudiobible.com. It's pretty much the same thing as the app. So you're not missing out there. Whereas I think the other apps will not work for you, but the other two apps will not fit my fitness pal either. So basically just think up. You have to use the app. So yeah, those are the four app recommendations for the tip of the week this week. I hope that you guys enjoy those recommendations. Let me know what you guys think. And now it's time to get into the meat and potatoes. Let's go get them. And now your feature presentation. We have the lucky honor of speaking to the land geek himself, uh, Mr. Mark Podolsky. Mark, how's it going? Dre, pulse is normal. Respiration's (laughs) fine. I'm so happy and honored and humbled to be on the podcast. Thanks so much. No problem. I'm loving it. I'm excited to kind of jump into your story, Mark. Really quick, where are you speaking to us from today? So I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm on a treadmill desk. Treadmill desk. (laughs) I'm walking and talking. Sitting's a new smoking. Mark, what's a treadmill desk? So this is a Trek desk. So if you go to trekdesk.com, it is a desk. It's a standing desk that's built to put a a treadmill underneath it. And so I literally just kind of walk and talk all day. I'll get my (laughs) 15,000 steps in by noon. Wow. So literally, listeners, as we're speaking, as I'm looking at Mark, he's walking. He has in his left hand is his microphone and he's holding it up to to his mouth and he's walking on his treadmill, which is also his desk. So So you do this throughout the day while you're working? Yeah, I do this throughout the day. I think I work better sort of walking and thinking. You know how people like to kind of go outside and take a long walk through their head? So I do that as well, but I just like to walk therapeutic. I love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so Mark, I called you the land geek. You know, before we get, get into, into your, your early beginnings, what is the land geek? What are you known for? So I'm a professional land investor and I've been investing in raw land full time since 2001. I've done over 5,200 land flips and I can kind of walk you through my model, but basically it's the ultimate subscription model. And it's a basically, so it's a one-time sale and then I get passive income every single month. And we can go a little deeper into this exactly what I do, but I get passive income every single month without renters, without rehabs, without renovations, without rodents. And so the game that I, have, I played was, can I create more passive income than my fixed expenses? And so now I've got the three W's. I work when I want, where I want, and with whom I want. 
at that point, life becomes way better than when I was doing my investment banking job. Hey, Mark, you know, this podcast is all about lifestyle design through real estate investing, right? I did not know that. Well, I, I can tell you my lifestyle design. <laughs> so it, it sounds amazing with the with these three W's. I mean, I can't wait to kind of dive into exactly how you you found your niche and, and what's so special about your niche because I think it's fascinating and I think that myself along with the listeners are really going to enjoy this that segment of the show. But really quick, Mark, let's take it back. Let's you know talk about younger Mark. Let's talk about maybe college Mark and corporate Mark and talk about your mindset back then and maybe what you were doing and how how you uh, became so entrepreneurial. Yeah, I mean, college Mark really was kind of hooked by mom and dad. And mom and dad said, hey, go to a good college and get a good job. And so like a nice, dutiful son, I did exactly that. I went to Indiana University and I majored in history and I minored in English. So I was on sort of the law school path. And my mom worked as a paralegal at a a big law office. And so I'd go there and I'm getting ready. I'm taking the LSAT and I'm getting ready to go to law school. And I start interviewing them and asking, what do you love about being a lawyer? What's, what is it like day to day? And each and every single one of them told me a story so depressing and so sad. And not one of them even encouraged me to go to law school. So I thought, oh no, what am I going to do? So I said, you know what? I need to think about this. So a buddy of mine, we'd backpacked through Europe my freshman year, Indiana. And so we met this group of Australians traveling around the world and we're drinking with them at the Heineken Brewery in Amsterdam. And we all made a commitment. We said, you know what? When we graduate from college, we're going to go to Australia. We're going to travel Australia. So there's three of us, two of us kept that promise. And I took six months off and traveled to Australia. And it was amazing. And I really thought, okay, what do I want to do with my life? I didn't know. So basically, I got home and I started going through the yellow pages. And I started, I started with medical equipment. And I started cold calling companies. And the first one was a AFCO Associates. And this Indian guy answers the phone. And he says, if you can sell, I can teach you this business. I said, I can sell. So he's like, okay. So I meet with Raj. And Raj is my first mentor. And basically, Raj taught me pro formas, spreadsheets, cash flow analysis. And basically, what I was, was I helped dentists buy and sell practices. And we put the whole financing together. We would do the appraisal. I mean, we, we really controlled the entire transaction. And so I did that for about five years. And I've traveled to Missouri, Kansas, and Oklahoma. I met my wife in Kansas City where we were living at the time. And I noticed that private equity groups started buying up these solo practitioners and this is where I really started to formulate this idea of solo economic dependency because I saw this happening with dentists. If the dentist wasn't working, they weren't generating any income. And so it really was kind of a sad state of affairs and, and kind of stuck with me up to this day. So we'll get back to that. So the private equity group start buying up solo practitioner. Raj, our business is slowing. I said, look, I don't love Kansas City. I, I want to move to Arizona. So he said, great, good luck. And I got a job 
as an investment banker with a boutique firm specializing in mergers and acquisitions with, you guessed it, private equity groups. So mid-market stuff, you know, 5 million to 500 million in enterprise value, nothing crazy. And I hated it. I mean, I was micromanaged. It was long hours. It was high stress. I had a 45-minute commute to work and back. And it got so bad for me that I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast. I mean, having to be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy and he tells me that as a side hustle, he's going to these tax deed auctions. He's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar, and he's flipping them online. This is in 2000, by the way. He's flipping them online and he's making on average a 300% return on his investment. Well, I'm looking at companies all day long and Dre, a great company. A great company has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Great company. Your average company is a 10%. And I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So, of course, I don't believe him, right? So, he takes me to New Mexico. I've got three grand saved up for car repairs. I do exactly what he says to do. I buy 10 half-acre parcels and average price of $300. I put them up online. They sell for $1,200 each. It worked 300%. So I took all that money. I went to another tax deed auction in Arizona. There's no one in the room. I'm buying up properties left and right, pennies on the dollar. I mean, so cheap. Over the next six months, I sold all that property. I made over $92,000 on this one auction. So I go to my wife, who's pregnant at the time, said, honey, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to invest in land full-time. And she said, absolutely not. So, so I said, okay, okay. So I did land investing part-time for about 18 months until the land investing income exceeded the investment banking income. And then I quit and I've been doing it full-time since 2001 ever since. Wow. <laughs> wow, 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 Mark. That's an amazing, fascinating story. And I can pick apart so many parts of that story, but let's maybe start with the yellow pages. That's so random. And it's crazy how our, our destinies are forged by small, minuscule decisions. I mean, I mean, think about how your life has transpired since opening, you know, the yellow pages and cold calling and finding a mentor named Raj and from there working for an investment bank and now investing in land. Like that's crazy. So what, what, what prompted you to start looking for work in the yellow pages? Well, you know, I remember in high school or maybe it was, it was maybe in college, I, I worked at a, a telemarketing company. I was one of those annoying guys that would just, you know, I could dial and smile. I thought, well, it was just a numbers game. I'm like, well, why can't I just do the same thing for me? I could do it pretty well for this company. And I was, you know, sort of hardened by rejection at that point anyways. So that's, you know, telemarketing is like the worst thing ever. If you can survive that, I'm like, it's just a numbers game. I'll just start calling people randomly and see what I find. And I thought, well, you know, being a medical equipment sales guy sounded kind of fun. I don't know why I thought that. I just thought I'd I thought it would be kind of cool. I don't, I really had, there was no other logic besides that. And so I just started at A and started making the calls. And sure enough, I think of my first or second call, I found something even better than medical equipment because it really, it really interested me, the entrepreneurial aspect of the, of the dentist and helping them. And basically, 
helping them with one of the biggest decisions of their life, which was selling their practice. And the other big decision for a buyer was buying a practice. And, you know, so you learn a lot about just psychology, finance, and business when you kind of, when you got into that. And in my twenties, I thought, wow, I'm going to learn a lot. And I, and I really did actually. You start working with Rajan. What are some of the things that you, that you take away from this mentor-mentee relationship before we kind of move on into the land investing? You know, he had a, an MBA and he was a chemical engineer. And so I really learned a lot about just business and life, right? Here's a guy, he's married, he's got two kids. He's in it, right? He's, he was basically my age when I met him, right? So here's this guy in his 40s hustling, you know, trying to build his business. And he brings me on and takes me under his wing and spends time with me in a way that, you know, if you, you ever travel with somebody and you're on the road for four hours going to a, a dentist's office, you talk not just about business, but you talk about life and things that are important, values and his life and his story and what he would have done and his brothers and, you know, this whole thing. And, and I, I really just learned that I could learn so much from this guy's wisdom and experience. I didn't need to go out and, you know, get an MBA, right? And he even discouraged me. He's like, don't get an MBA. I'll give you the MBA. This is what you need to know, right? And so that really helped as well was just sort of, you know, learning that a mentor can really smart cut my growth. And that really was sort of the the big takeaway for me. As far as smart cutting your growth and you moving on to the next phase of your life, which was investment banking, how did that transition happen? And you know, how did you know it was time for that transition? Well, as soon as the private equity group started rolling up the solo practitioner, I started seeing our business decline. And you know, married at the time, and I go out and my, my wife's parents went to Scottsdale, Arizona for uh, a vacation. And we went to go visit them. And I'm looking around and I'm from the Midwest. And it's beautiful. The you know the sky's blue, and I'm thinking to myself, and it's like the city's growing. I'm like, what are we doing in Kansas City? And I'm sick of the Midwest. So I just said, look, I'm going to get a job here, and kind of did the same thing. I I just started <laughs> cold calling companies again and got an interview, and I got hired. And we just moved. And uh, I thought, well, this would be a really good way to pay the bills because it was a very lucrative job, right? And you know, it wasn't uncommon to get a high six-figure commission on one deal, right? For me, I was just very money motivated at that time in my twenties. I thought, oh, you know, money's going to make me happy. Was really sort of the mindset that I had was money will solve all my problems, and you know, it took making a lot of money to realize it didn't solve any problems. I did pretty well. I wouldn't say I, I didn't make millions, but you know, I made a nice you know, mid-level six-figure income uh, after tax. And I look back on it, I was like, I don't know how we lived on this. But you know, it, it, it allowed me to, to buy a house, cars, and you know, think about having a family. And I felt like, oh, you know, this is this is, could be pretty stable. And I, in the work, I kind of thought it was a little bit interesting, but for me, it was more ego driven. Like I thought it was kind of cool to go to a party and tell people I was an investment banker. That was, you know, so, so I was very, you know, ego driven at that point as well. 
it seems as though by working as an investment banker, you were able to reach your goal of quote unquote, making a lot of money. So the goal that you sought out and set out for has been met. But in actuality, I don't think that your true goals or your true needs, wants, and desires were met at that employment because you quickly found yourself seeking other opportunities. And you've mentioned a couple of, of points already as far as you not, not having your time and you know you dreading Friday evenings and things like that. But you know, get into that a little bit more. What were some of the root causes and, and desires that had you wanting to seek other opportunities? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it really took this one deal that I worked on for about 18 months. And it was going to be a, a huge commission, right? And it, it was such a big commission at this point. Like I'm spending the money in my head and <laughs> I already had it spent, right? And, and I'm working really hard on this deal. It's, it's been a long time and the numbers come back. We're supposed to close the next day and the numbers come in right before the, the private equity group's going to close. And guess what? The numbers dipped and they killed the deal. And so that was like having a stiletto right in my heart. And I remember thinking, is this really what my life is going to be? That some external force that I have no control of is going to dictate how I earn a living or even how I feel? Why should this event dictate how I feel? And at that point, I really sort of was like, I didn't really know it at the time, but like I needed control. I needed total control of my life. I needed everything to be in, like controlled. And at that point, I'm like, the only way I'm going to have total control is if it's my thing. And so the, it was just serendipitous that I, I found this land investing niche and it turned out to be exactly what I needed because I had total control. And then I made a plan to get out responsibly without putting my family at risk. And then I made another plan to basically get myself out of the business and be an entrepreneur. And so, you know, the freedom, the flexibility and total control really were the main drivers of what I wanted to do with my life. I love that. And that's exactly what I was trying to pull out. I was like, I know that in the in the forefront, you know, on the surface, it looks like, or it seemed like, you know, money was your main motivator, which it, it possibly could have been. But I know for most of us, especially when we go entrepreneurial, it's it's about that control. It's about, you know, freedom. It's about calling, you know, being your own boss, calling your own shots, having that autonomy, knowing that you can get up and, and do this when you want and how you want with whoever you want. It's an amazing feeling to have that. So when we're striving for control, the best option that we that we want to look to is to become entrepreneurial but many of us live in fear many of us fear that because we're not able to see what's on the on the other end of that entrepreneurial journey many of us don't get started but mark you decided to get started you decided that and you, you started in a smart way some people start they decide to you know go all in cut the ropes and and, and basically go entrepreneurial from day one but you you tested the waters you you tried land investing for a little bit while you kept your job and then when you realized it was a viable option you went all in so let's talk about those those first 12 parcels of land and how does this whole land investing work how were you able to invest you know 3k and, and make twelve hundred dollars a piece what's the math and science behind that well okay i'll walk you through the model okay so deray where, where do you live i'm in dallas right now okay you're in dallas so let's say for example that you owe two hundred dollars in back taxes on a piece of property in florida okay 
and I get the delinquent tax list from a county in Florida, and I say, oh, there's DeRay. He owes $200 in back taxes on this 40-acre parcel in Florida. And so what I'll do then is I'll send you an actual offer for your property. And because, and why am I doing this? Because you're advertising to me that in some way, you're no longer interested in that property. You're distressed in some way with it. Because if you're, you know, we pay for things we value. If you're not paying for it, some, somehow, either you don't value the property anymore, you're having some financial distress in some way, maybe you lost your job, maybe there's a divorce, who, who knows, right? But the other thing is you live in Dallas. You're not even near the property. You have no emotional connection to that property. So that's our lowest hanging fruit. So what I'll do is I'll look at the comparable sales for the last 12 to 18 months, and then I'll divide by four. And what that does is that gets me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. And then I would send you an actual offer for your property. So let's say that the property is worth 10 grand. The most I paid rate is $2,500. Well, you get that offer. You're like, oh, I've been getting these notices from the, from the treasurer every single month. $2,500 is better than nothing because if it goes to a tax deed auction, I'm not going to get anything, right? I'm going to lose the property. So you sell it to me. And the way that I buy it is I first I do due diligence, you know, fancy word for research. I want to make sure you actually own the property. I want to make sure there's no liens or encumbrances. I want to make sure there's no breaks in the cloud of title. I want to make sure you only owe $200 in taxes, in back taxes. And so we go through this whole checklist and then I buy it. Now I own the property, but DeRay, I have a best built-in buyer. Do you know who it is? No. Oh. The neighbors. <laughs> the neighbors. So this is where my niche has the, the greatest advantage over all the other real estate niches because the neighbors aren't going to buy another house, right? It's too much money, yeah. but not for land. So I sent out neighbor letters saying, hey, look, before we go to the open market with this, you know, you want to know who your neighbor's going to be? Expand your holdings, right? Protect your privacy. And so oftentimes the neighbors will buy that property for $10,000. But the way that I'll sell it, is I'll get $2,500 down. So I'll do owner financing. I'll get $2,500 down. I'll get my money out on the down payment. And then I'll take it, make it a car payment. Let's say $4.99 a month at 9% interest over the next 10 years. So now I've created a note in a passive income stream of $499 a month for the next 10 years without having to deal with a renter, without having to deal with the rehabs, renovations, rodents. Because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from any onerous real estate legislation like Dodd-Frank, RESPA, or the SAFE Act. And because of the nature of this business and the way it's scalable, I'm 90% automated with software. So I personally work two hours a week in my land investing business. And then on the back end of it, I started a software company called geekpay.io that automates collecting those notes. Because I used to have to like, you know, deal with people that the borrowers like, hey, what's my current balance? Or, hey, how do I make a prepayment this month? And now it just completely automates uh, collecting ACH. If the ACH fails, it collects the credit card. So that's like the geeky side of it. Mark, that's amazing value. I'm so happy that you were able to share that with our listeners. But really quick, are you up for a game of devil's advocate? Let's play it. <laughs> okay. So there are a lot of uh, 
skeptics out there and right and rightly so because there are a lot of different businesses out there that you know don't work or you know are scammy and things of that nature so i love to poke holes where i see you know we can possibly clear some things up or add some value or have some listeners be like ah so i mean that was a question that i had as well so maybe this this is you know a a viable way to go so land investing you are purchasing land from investors well, you never know. I mean, you can inherit the land and not know what to do with it. You could have dreams of one day building on that land and then those dreams don't solidify and now you don't know what to do with the land. So there's lots of reasons that people buy raw land. Got you. So it's people who, have, who may have had intentions of investing or building or selling or may have gotten inherited land. It's people that are in weird little kind of niche situations that you're, you're looking to solve, help them solve their problem. Exactly. And how are you obtaining your list? So you go to the county assessor, it's all public information and you get the list. Now, if you can't get the list there, there's places that will actually sell you a list. There's like a a site called agentpro247.com. You can actually buy a list and then send out your mailers from there. How reliable are those lists? Uh, they're not great. Sometimes they're a little old, um, the data, but typically speaking, the assessor is going to have the most reliable data. So speaking to this list and speaking to this business model overall, but more, more specifically to this list first, why is this arena not oversaturated? Why aren't these, why are these lists? I mean, I can just imagine that these lists are probably being recycled and being sold to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And not only that, but it sounds like it's such a lucrative business model, you know, why is it not oversaturated at this point? You've been doing this since 2001. Yeah, that's a great question. So I remember when my wife asked me, she's like, why are you going to teach people this? And she's like, aren't you going to create your own competition? I said, well, let's, let's do some math. There's 3,007 U.S. counties. There are billions of acres of land available that are just tax delinquent. I'm like, how much can you and I buy? She's like, oh, I'm like, okay. And then how much can a thousand people buy? How much can a hundred thousand people buy? I'm like, you, me, we could get a million people in this niche. They're all going to run out of money before we run out of deal flow. And so to this day, that's been the case. It is a massive market. And Dre, if you go to a a real estate investment meeting, a a RIA meeting, right? And there's a hundred people in that room, 99 of them are going to be house flippers, wholesalers or landlords. You and I would be the only land guys there. Why? Because you're not going to go on HGTV or the DIY network and see flip this land. It's really boring. You're not going to watch me in front of the computer shuffling paper, right? So it's a really unsexy niche. It's massive and no one's doing it. So besides taxes, what are some other holding costs the costs are really just going to be property taxes and then it's a business. So you're going to have to spend money on mailing, right? But your ROI on that mailing is so big. It's, it's sort of inconsequential. Really, so that's no, going to be your biggest costs. There's no cost directly associated with holding the property? No, no. That's amazing. Okay. I did not know yeah. that. So, so with land investing, your, your, your primary costs are your marketing costs, which you, know, you just co- covered, and your property tax. That's it. And you can do it from anywhere in the world. I've got 
clients that Sean Rickman and Rachel Mueller, he was a software engineer and she was working in sales and they both hated their jobs. And last year they started, you know, doing this real estate niche. They built up their income uh, to about 5,000 a month in passive income. They're like, that's enough. And they quit their jobs and now they're traveling the world running their business just with an app and a, and a virtual mailbox and a few virtual assistants. And it's amazing. Lifestyle design through real estate. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So but speak, speaking to success stories, I'd love to, you know, if you can, if you can just kind of walk us through maybe one of your success stories or maybe one of your, your clients or students success stories, as far as just, you know, starting, starting out really small, buying that, buying their first parcel of land, how much they needed. And maybe, you know, kind of the, the path you just walked, walked me through now, but you know, how they were able to scale, you know, I really just want to touch on that, that first one, you know, how they were able to get in. I guess many listeners would probably ask, you know, how, well, how much do I need to get started? So maybe start from there and, and work our way up and give a real example. Right, right. So, you know, I started with $3,000. My buddy Duran started with $800. He's a multimillionaire today. You don't need a lot of money because essentially you just need enough money to mail the sellers because it's a very inefficient market. So for example, in our example that you've got that property in Florida, you live in Dallas. Well, let's say that I don't have the $2,500, Right. Well, what I'll do is I'll assign that contract to someone else and I might mark it up 100%, right? And then I've left enough meat on the bone for the retailer to make money. So people do that all the time. Or I might extend out my due diligence and tell you, hey, Duray, it's going to take me 90 days to close on that property. Well, it really takes like seven days to do due diligence. But in the meantime, I'm sending out neighbor letters. So the neighbor says, oh, I'll buy that for $2,500. They Best give you the $2,500. You do a dual close and so you use other people's money. So there's lots it. of creative ways. Really, the issue isn't money in this business because we make our money on the buy. The, really, the issue is effort, right? Will you go through the effort of you know, doing county research, getting a list, scrubbing the list and pricing a list and then mailing it out? That's really where the money is made. So since we're all about lifestyle and of course, as an entrepreneur, you have to put in a lot of man hours in the very beginning and then you start looking to automate. I know that you've probably found a way to automate a lot of the things that you've just named. So let's maybe talk about some automation, you know, all this effort that goes into land investing. How can you automate some of those things? So we have 90% of the business automated. So we use a program that we created called LG Pass, uh, the Land Geeks proprietary automated software system. So essentially, we get a Excel file of the list. We upload that list into our software. And using a Lob API, Lob is a mailing house that'll do bad address verification. They'll mail out your offers. So the offers go out. And then in the software, when the offers get accepted back, you have all the reference numbers, you go through a due diligence checklist. And then what we do is we outsource our due diligence to the Philippines. We pay about $11 for due diligence. They, they check out, they do the title search. They, they get us the GIS maps. They get us the plat maps. They get us Google Earth maps. They get us photos. All of that goes into the software. Now we've created our marketing package. So then we push to web and then we send out our neighbor letters. If the neighbors pass, we go to our buyers list. If the buyers list passes, we go to Craigslist and then we go to, and we go to Facebook. Now we have actually a program called postingdomination.com forward slash the land geek that automates. I can put up 128 ads on Facebook and Craigslist by pressing a button 
It's amazing. So we automate the marketing. Now, when we sell the property, this is where you actually have to sell it. So I sell it. I get my money down, but I use that using geekpay.io. I get my down payment and then I automate the monthly payments. The paperwork used to take me about 20 minutes. In LG Pass, it now takes two seconds. So I'm always living by the principle that I can always make more money, but I can't get more time. So anything that will save me time, I will do. Literally anything. I love that. That's that. I, man, when I say I'm identical, I, I love that. And it sounds like you, you may be a fan of Tim Ferriss. <laughs> I love Tim Ferriss. In fact, my, my wife and I were going to dinner uh, Saturday night and we were going to this restaurant and parking is really tough. I'm like, honey, I'm not going to spend 10 seconds looking for a parking spot. I'm like, we're just going to take a lift. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> you just dropped off, go right in, don't have to look for parking, come right out, take another lift home. It's great. I love it. I love it. That, that's amazing. And, you know, one thing that, I, that I'm sure that uh, a lot of the listeners or maybe some of the listeners are looking to get answered is, you know, what kind of services do you offer? I know that you have this software, but how, you know, from A to Z, how was somebody able to come to you that's looking for advice or maybe even looking, I'm not sure if you have a program or a course, but maybe kind of talk about how you're helping others get, uh, get into their first land investment deal. Yeah. I mean, I think the best place to start and to see if this is even the right thing for you is just going to my website, thelandgeek.com. You can download for free our ebook, How to Avoid the Three Fatal Lane Buying Mistakes. You can get our podcast. We have, the, we have three podcasts, the Land Geek podcast, the Best Passive Income Model podcast, and the Auto Passive Income Model podcast. There's like 300 podcasts there. And, and then from there, if you email support at thelandgeek.com, you put in the subject line before the millions or DeRay, we'll send you for free our $97 passive income launch kit. And all that information, you'll really know if this is something that you truly, you know, really lights you up. And if that's the case, then, you know, certainly we have everything from a do-it-yourself home study course all the way up to one-on-one coaching and be your Sherpa up that mountain help you get up there safely, quickly, efficiently. You won't freeze to death with us. I love that. So kind of going through some of the modules, maybe in the do-it-yourself home study course, and maybe even the, the $97 you know, f- uh, free offering that, that you guys are offering, what are some of the things that you're having the, the people who, who come across your information and your content that they're looking to get into land investing? What are some of the things that you're having them do starting out? If they have the capital, they're ready to get started. You know, what, what are some of the first couple things that they, sh- they should start doing? Well, they got to get educated. So they got to figure out what are the best counties to go to. So in our course, we give them the secret counties list, right? So we kind of help them with the county research. Then we walk them through step-by-step how to get a list, how to scrub a list, and then how to price a list. And then we show them how to get those offers out in various ways. And then from there, we have a whole due diligence course. So they're going to be able to sleep well at night knowing they're not making a huge mistake. And I've made million-dollar mistakes. So... I've done it all. So you, you, I, I'll teach you how to avoid all that. And then how to close safely, quickly and efficiently with your seller. And then the, we provide those neighbor letters, how to find out, how to find the neighbors online, how to get those, those neighbor letters out, how to automate your postings for marketing, how to market the properties. There's a, you know, you've got to create urgency and scarcity and you have to have a call to action. And, the, you know, we teach you exactly how to do that because really we sell these properties 30 days or less. And if it's taking longer than 30 days, something has to change with the pricing. So we really teach them how to make it irresistible. And then from there, how to automate, how to delegate, how to systematize so that 12 months later, 
you know, I don't want anybody to buy themselves another job. This really should be a business. And just like Sean and Rachel, you should be able to travel around the world. And this machine should be creating passive income for you without you working in the business. And that's what we teach. What's the average time horizon that you've seen with your students from the, the point of them, you know, contacting you for your services or, or starting your course and then purchasing their first property? So Scott Todd is a good example. He was an executive at a Fortune 300 company. It took him 17 months and three days to replace his Fortune 300 income and then quit his job. So other people, you know, it just depends on them and what they're doing. But we'd like to see as a benchmark 10,000 a month in passive income in 12 to 18 months. But as far as that, that first, that first property, that first land deal, what's the average time horizon that you've seen for that? 30 to 90 days. One last thing that we'll touch on in the segment before we move on to the last segment of the show is in every entrepreneurial venture, there are ups and downs. And we've talked about all the benefits of land investing, but we haven't talked about the bad. You've said that you've lost millions on deals. Let's maybe take it to one of your worst entrepreneurial moments to date. Talk about that moment and maybe what you learned from that situation. Yeah, I mean, there's a deal that I did in Western Pennsylvania. There's a huge uh, property owners association. So uh, it was beautiful. It was gated community, million dollar homes in there, but it was overdeveloped. So there's thousands of lots in there, right? And I go in there and I fly in with my suit and I start negotiating with the county and the POA. And I think I'm the smartest guy in the room, right? So I negotiate to buy all thousand lots. And I tell them, look, you got dead money here. No one's making POA uh, payments to the to the property owners association, and no one's paying their taxes on it, right? So even if I sell these for a dollar, and I get a new owner paying their taxes and POA fees, that's more than what you're getting now. So I negotiated a deal to buy all these lots for like almost nothing, and but I bought them all at one time. And if I just had a mentor to look at the deal with me and say, "Hey, Mark, maybe instead of taking all thousand down at once." Why don't you just take down 10 at a time and mitigate your risk? And because I was, you know, I thought I was the smartest one in the room, I didn't l- ask for any help. These are, that was a huge mistake that I made. And essentially, I bought them in 2007. I made about $100,000 on the deal. And then 2008 comes around, I can't sell these. I can't even give them away, right? And it was the first time I, I really lost, I didn't really lose money. But what I lost was time, right? So I always value, well, what's my time worth? And I negotiated for three years. I thought I was going to make millions of dollars on this one deal. And really, it was the first time I, I broke even on my time or lost money on my time. And that, and that lesson was, hey, this is not you know, something that I should be doing on my own. I should be getting other people involved, helping me and, and, and looking at that deal with me. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, why is that? That's really the book that sort of had me change my mindset and kind of gave me the courage to quit my job. And I think it's a it's sort of a, a must read for any real estate investor. It's like amazing. But I would say today, this is before so this is before the millions, but today I'd say you know, one of my, my two favorite books right now are The 12 Week Year and The One Thing by Gary Keller. I love let's those talk, books. Let's talk about The 12 Week Year really quick for 30 seconds. I, we, I, I'm sure we, we, many of us have read The One Thing, but The 12 Week Year, that's a new one. 
So the 12-week year makes the argument that most companies really crush it at the end of the year because they have this annual goal. So they compress it into 12-week years. So you have four annual goals. So every day is a week and every week is a month. And so there's like this built-in intensity into your 12-week year. And you really focus on getting those goals accomplished in a much shorter period of time. So it kind of takes advantage of Parkinson's law of time. I love that so much. That's a great technique. So I'm, I can imagine that's a great book. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. So I've got a lot of them, but I would say today, I really love Airtable.com. It's a spreadsheet and database on steroids and helps me automate so much stuff. So that combined with another automation app, Zapier.com is really, really powerful to uh, allow you to, to automate so many things in your business. Love that. What's, uh, what's Zapier do? Zapier will communicate with other apps and automate it, right? So let's say, for example, that like I use Ring Central. So here's one of my automations. You know, if you call my, my Frontier Properties number and you hit two, you want to sell land. Well, maybe you want to just yell at me because you didn't like the offer. Or maybe you have questions about that offer. But if you press two to sell your land, that zap will automatically send out via email and an Evernote document and, and step-by-step instructions to an intake manager at Fancy Hands. And then wow. the Fancy Hands US-based VA will follow the instructions, call back the seller and qualify them and make sure they're really a seller. Once they qualify them through their instructions, they'll then have it go to our acquisition manager. And the acquisition manager will then follow up. So it just saves us time. Mark, we just had a, a one hour, 45 minute podcast about land investing, but I'm starting to think that we should have had a, a podcast about automation. <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's automation is amazing. I, I'm, I'm in Zapier like every day. If you're not in Zapier, then I don't know what to tell you. So between Zapier, Smartsheet.com, Airtable.com, for personal things, you can do IFTT.com. It's the best time ever to be alive. <laughs> it really is. Alive. I love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Well, I really love the fact that, you know, Mondays and Fridays are what I call my terminal days. So those are the days that I pretend this will be the last day I have on this earth. How do I want to spend my time? What's really the most important things to me in life? And ultimately, because I have three children and I'm married, it's deepening those relationships. So I get up early, I do my gratitude journal, I meditate, I work out, I take the kids to school, I have coffee with my wife. We, so we have coffee, we talk, we enjoy, then we go out for lunch. Or if she can't go out for lunch, I'll go out for lunch for a, with a buddy. Then I might go for a bike ride or maybe a swim, depending on the weather. And then I will you know, read. I might do things that work on the business and just kind of think, take walks, maybe take a hike. Then I'll pick up the kids from school. We'll hang out. We'll do something fun. I'll help them with their homework. And then that night, usually I'll have a good meal because I always say to my wife, well, this could be my last meal, right? I don't, I don't want it to be, you know, McDonald's, right? Or, or whatever it's going to be. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Tuesday's my podcast day. Wednesday are my team meeting days. Thursday are my client meeting days. And then Friday, I do the same thing again. It's my terminal day. So it really allows me to 
have the best of both worlds of a little bit of work and then also thinking about what's really important to me in my life. And ultimately, it's always like, how can I deepen these relationships? I love that so much. And I've kind of designed my schedule in a similar fashion, so I can relate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I had to really let go of the values that I was sort of brought up with that, you know, you got to get a good job, have security, stability, and sort of embrace the suck, if you will. Because if you're an entrepreneur, there's days you have no idea what you're doing, right? So this concept of being comfortable, being uncomfortable, really helped me sort of grow every single day as an entrepreneur, as a person. So, you know, sort of shedding that idea of what security really is, really kind of helped me, give me the courage to continue going on. I love that. And you touched on something that I love to highlight so much. You know, the the notion that security is a W-2 day job is so far from the truth. It's not even funny. But that's another story for another day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But you know, when you're a kid, you're in your 20s and your parents are telling you this this is what you should do and we're going to be proud of you. You don't know any better, right? I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur. He's like, don't take risk, get a job. I'm like, what, what you, isn't waking up a risk? Like, I might as well love what I do. Exactly. And you said- Life's short. You just had another quote that I, that I want to highlight as well. You said, you know, you, you, as when you're in your W-2 day job, you know, your, your mentality was just embrace the suck. You know, guys, if you're out there and you're embracing the suck, reevaluate what's going on. That's, that's never a good idea. <laughs> it's never a good idea. <laughs> Just be like, I mean, it's just, it's just something to do. Uh, I'm getting a paycheck for it. It's paying the bill, so I'm okay. That, that's not how you want to live your life. So that's amazing advice. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I, I've, I'll have to have another podcast, but I've actually, you know, I have gone to the lengths that I've needed to go to. Like, I'm prepared to be homeless in a really comfortable way. Like, I know how to be homeless, so that if it all goes to hell, I'll be super happy, homeless. 24-7 gym. I'm going to go to Newport Beach. My wife and I are going to get a tent out. We're going to bike around the beach. We're going to smell good. We'll go to Fashion Island. We'll get good food. Like I have this whole thing. Like We'd be very happy. So you also have to be willing to lose it all as well to keep growing. That's amazing advice. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Well, I would say just watching my dad. He worked really hard. He was up early. He worked hard all day. He'd come home and he'd work harder at night. And so his work ethic also combined with this sort of cautionary tale of, you know, do I really want to work this hard just to be able to play golf on Saturday, right? Wasn't appealing to me. So he really motivated me in two ways, but also seeing him be his own boss was really cool. I loved working with him as a kid. And, you know, hearing him kind of yell and the stress of it all. But so he was really impactful in that way. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? You're judging yourself. It's your judge, your inner judging ear. It's fear, right? So, you know, like, let's think about it. You're a kid, you're a baby. You ever watch a baby try to walk? right? They get up, they, they stumble, they fall, they cry, they get back up, they stumble, they fall, they cry, they get back up. No one, no parents like, oh gosh, 
I guess walking's not for my child, right? Like they don't they don't judge like, oh, this is just what I want to do. So the you got to go back to that. The baby itself, or you as a baby, you have no fear. You you know you're, you're constantly failing, and we're taught fear. Fear is a, a taught emotion. It's not it's not something that that you're born with. You start going from your hopes and dreams and aspirations to be a firefighter, to be a police, to be to be these crazy things that we think of as a kid. You know, once we get to middle school, high school, college, parents and other people in our lives and just society in general starts uh, watering down some of these ideas and visions that we have. That you know, well maybe maybe that's not possible for you maybe you know the, these are two the goals are too far-fetched for you maybe you should just stick to a normal job and a lot of us are handicapped by that but you know again going back to what you said you know as a kid of course fear of being hurt and things like that are always are always uh, prominent but they're in the background because you haven't been taught that emotion yet so i love that i love that Mark, yeah, this has been an amazing podcast. I'm glad that you were able to share your insight and your experiences with us. It's amazing to kind of just walk down your before the millions path and, and see the transition and see the fortitude that you've had to be able to get to where you are today and see some of the struggles that you went through. See, see that, you know, you've, you've invested lots of time and lots of effort into into your craft and now you know you're teaching others to do the same thing so again i want to thank you if there are listeners that want to reach out to you want to learn a little bit more about you or kind of want to uh, get into some of your your products how can they find all that information yeah i mean i think the best place to go is just the landgeek.com and we'll get geeky together love it so love and, it. and you know what's funny is like you're like we, we walked the path before the millions together we literally did walk the path like we're yeah. li- i'm literally walking <laughs> I was going to end on it. I was like, so how are your vitals? I don't know. They're good. They're, <laughs> They're good. good. They're good. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I appreciate you walking uh, and walking on the path uh, before the man's with us. And Mark, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dre. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.